Welcome back, nieces and nephews, with GWAP with Sanford Just Everything with Auntie Pookie Podcast. I'm your host, Sydney, or as many call me, Auntie Pookie. So today on this beautiful episode, we have the wonderful owner of the Delicate Butterfly Foundation and author of The Untold Secrets, which you can buy on so many platforms, and we'll uh, make sure to put that on the link or on the information box so that we can discuss that or give her the information. So, how are you doing, Miss Ty? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? You know, I'm doing pretty good, just adulting. But <laughs> life is pretty good right now, you know what I'm saying? So, um, to kick this off, I wanted to ask you about your your foundation, your nonprofit. So, tell me a little bit about that. Um, Delicate Butterfly Foundation is a foundation that helps special need families. Um, so any special need that a family has, whether it's a young adult or children um, in needing of clothing assistance or referrals through United Way, um, it's very, very small. It's just out of Jacksonville, Florida and um, Georgia right now, mainly by appointment only. Um, and also helps referrals for mental illness. So if you're struggling with depression, anxiety, we are able to give you referrals through United Way to get either no cost. Uh-oh, you still there? Okay, there we go. Okay, I thought it cut out. No. Okay. Um, that's awesome. So what made you want to start um, doing the nonprofit um, my little sister was actually born early and she has a rare special need, um, which isn't always seen. I um, know there's a lot of nonprofits that are for like bigger special needs like autism, Down syndrome. Right. But my sister has cerebral palsy, spastic diplegia. So not only does she have cerebral palsy, she has seizures. And there's a lot of special needs families that um, the special need isn't necessarily seen. Um, and the being able to get coverage for that, you don't necessarily see that or have the benefits to help you um, with that. Also, I'm a cancer survivor, and it's the same thing with that. It's a lot of bigger organizations for like breast cancer, lung cancer, heart cancer, but none for like what I had, which was utero and cervical cancer. Um, so just wanted to be a, a piece of the pie that that helps families who are unseen that's really amazing mm-hmm. that is really amazing yeah <laughs> Thank you. once we're done here you can send me all that info and people could like donate yeah that. people can donate um through paypal and um clothes also i do have a p.o box that i that you can send clothing um non-perishables to all sorts of things um that we're able to pick up Oh, that's amazing. Okay, mm-hmm. perfect, perfect. I would love to donate. I work with two nonprofits myself, so but they're working more towards um, doing better things for youth. So, and I really enjoy those as well. It's a Youth with the Future and Save the Children Network. Oh, <laughs> yeah, nonprofits are really amazing, and I just, I just love supporting people that want to do something to help others. You know what I'm saying? It's just, yeah, it's just amazing. So, um. Before we move forward, I wanted to say that your book, oh my gosh, girl, <laughs> it ran me through so many emotions. I was I, I was like, I'm ready to fight some people. Like, <laughs> like it, girl, like you, you just captured like your life. And for me, when I read stuff, I can imagine everything. Like I can picture it. And it's just like, 
it, I think it, I feel like it makes it 10 times worse for me at times when I read stuff that people have been through and it's just like, oh, you're, you're really sitting in that room seeing everything that the person went through. So what made you um, want to even tell your story? Well, I, I actually had wrote the book about 10 years ago, but it was during the stage when I was still using and I was still dancing and it was literally like a stripper's handbook I'm not even gonna hold you (laughs) telling women how to get these men and how to um how to get these men and like how to be a stripper and I actually almost lost it I had um did a publication through a company I won't disclose just because of copyright stuff and And I had to go to court for it and I had to pay for my copyright back. And at the time I was just looking at the dollar sign and it took a very long time for that court proceeding to go through. I actually ended up having to pay $2,700 just to get my own words back. So once I got it back and reread it, I was like, God did not, this is why God took this from you. He knew you did not want this in the streets. (laughs) He'd be all over the world. Like, right. time I wasn't saved I was still using doing a lot of different things you know out in the world and once I got saved I wasn't really sure if I was going to rewrite the book it honestly started with therapy um, and it started with the forgiveness letters in the book and once I was able to truly forgive the main people who have caused so much pain in my life yeah it made me want to show other people like you can heal and you're not damaged goods. And it doesn't matter what this life throws at you. It's not how you fall. It's really how you get up. And that saying sounds so cliche, but um, it's so true. And so I wanted other people to know, like, you know, life happens and it hits you hard in multiple different ways and you can flourish from it. I'm very, very successful now. And, um, I just want other people to know that they can live past their trauma. Yeah, I definitely um, agree with you on that. It's like we all go through things in life, whether it's like super bad or kind of bad or minuscule. But, um, you know, you're definitely right. You you can change, you know, even though you've been through some some pretty rough stuff. Right. Um, When you were writing the book and you said you did it 10 years ago and then you finished like recently did it bring back like any triggers for you from all the stuff that you've been through it did I the hardest part for me writing the book um was reliving my addiction my that's when my my world started to change is when I became an addict and having to live in two different perspectives so um, I didn't realize for a lot of my life, I've lived in two separate worlds in my mind and obviously right. in real life. Like I had, you know, my drug friends and the people who knew I did certain things. And then I had like my Ivy League core friends who seen like this other tie who would never even knew what I was doing, you know? Right, right. So the, the hardest part of writing the book is realizing the moment 
I started loving the drug more than I started loving myself. Yeah, and that could take you to a whole, like, downward spiral. Yes, it it definitely can. Because I do know, like, people have, they said they like that world better, you know, because it's just, like, it takes your mind away from what It's easier. (laughs) Easier, right, to just be like, oh, I'm good, I'm not here. You know, I'm kind of checked out, so I completely understand where you're coming from with that. Um. So I wanted to break down the book chapter by chapter and just ask some questions again. Like I said before, if there's any questions that you you don't want to um, answer because it could just bring up old crap or anything, um, you do not have to answer them. Because I definitely, I was like, oh, I got, let me, I went through page through page to figure out like, okay, should I ask this? Should I not? But totally, <laughs> it's totally, totally fine. You know, yeah. you want to ask questions. So I'm um, starting in chapter one. You know, just in that small time frame, you went through so much, so much hell. Like, literally, my heart broke. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. So my first question is, when you started to, like, mentally withdraw from everything that you were going through, how long do you think it took you to be present and to make change for yourself? Um, I don't know, honestly. I'm writing the book just in general was hard to put pieces together because I separated mentally um, from so much different things. So I don't really know when I was okay and when I wasn't okay. It's like I almost created myself a a completely different world in my mind to survive. There was a lot of different times in the book where I don't even remember my brother being there. Like I know he lived in the household, we grew up together, but because Mm -hmm. of all the trauma, I had to go back after the book and ask him, like, where were you during this time? Or how come, you know, different things? Because I literally blocked that out of my mind. So I I honestly don't know. I I created an alternate world for myself. Yeah. And and the mind um, protects ourselves. Like, there's parts of the brain that we're never, that we may never use. But it's like it, there's parts of the brain that protects us from trauma. And it, like, pretty much makes it disappear. So, mm-hmm. like, uh, did this really happen? Did it not? Yeah. And was your um brother okay with, like, telling you things that happened around, like, you know, whatever questions you asked him? Or did he kind of was like, ugh, I ain't trying to be in this? No, he actually was very open to telling me. Has he told certain stories, certain things I remembered? Um, But other times, you know, I still was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But um, right. yeah, he was, no, me and my brother are very close. So he was very, very supportive of the book and more than willing to just help me walk through the steps that I needed to during this journey. That's wonderful. That's, that's so good to hear. Mm-hmm. Now, um, so in the chapter as well, you know, you talked about Michael and I wanted to fight him. I did. <laughs> um, do you feel like he created like a monstrous world for you and do you think it increased uh your chances of being highly sexualized like as you got older I don't think it caused me to be highly sexualized as I got older um I felt like it caused me to mistreat men as I got older Mm -hmm. um I I don't know if he is all to blame for my chaos because my mom was also, as I learned later, a um, functioning alcoholic. So I didn't 
I can't blame everything that's happened to me on Michael or what caused it because my mom did have her place in it as well. So I think it was operational chaos between the both of them. Right, right. Yeah, because I mean, reading about your mom and whatnot, do you think like, because I know you said in the book, like she was really sick and she didn't really tell you guys the severity of it for a while. Do you think like she drunk, she drank a lot to like mask what she was going through as well? Yeah. And, you know, as I've gotten older, it makes me wonder what was her story? Like what caused her to drink prior to us? You know, my like, I'd only remember my mom drinking. There's very few times that I remember my mom being sober. And that was obviously something that was created before we were here, you know? So right. I don't know what happened to her to even know why she had to numb. So I think it, it brought up more questions for me about my mom, if anything, but I think it was conjoined chaos between the both of them. Right, right. Yeah, I was like, how's my next question? Do you know any trauma she went through? But she didn't really talk much, so. No, no. We, my mom was such a positive person. Like, you never knew anything was wrong unless it was behind closed doors, everything. And fa- front value is like butterflies and rainbows. You know what I mean? Like, right. she never really let us know my mom even never even spoke nothing bad about our father so I don't know what pain she was concealing or what transpired in her life to cause her to self-medicate either right wow yeah a lot of people I feel like the most hurt people mask things with happiness because they don't want people to know what they went through or they're just like or they were taught like you know we don't say nothing in this family Right. I feel like that really tears people up because like, you know, reading your book and I'm just like, you know, we'll get to like when you're at your auntie's house and all those secrets happen. It's just like Mm -hmm. people don't understand how much trauma people build up in young kids to where they're older and they're like, okay, why am I doing this and all this stuff? And then you have to go through therapy and relive all that Mm -hmm. trauma and you're just like, oh, my God, I was this happened to me at five years old and it still messes with me at 37 or something, you know? So right, right. Exactly. It, it's just pretty sad. Um, when you, um, or when Michael, it, he had expressed what love was to you, which is like, when I read that, that he made you like watch you, um, him and your mom, like, you know, making love. Mm-hmm. The, one, it pissed me off. But, um, mm-hmm. um, when he expressed love, which obviously wasn't true, when do you think you were able to differentiate what real love was? <laughs> I think I'm still learning that. Um, <laughs> I I do know. Um, I don't know if you read about the character Vanilla Ice. Yeah. Um, I think that's when I knew what a man was supposed to do to love me correctly. You know? Um, and... Um, even to this day, it's hard to, I have so many boundaries. Sometimes I have too many boundaries and, um, trying just to meet someone in the middle, um, because we're all, we're not perfect and things like that. And, you know, making sure that, but I think love is something that's not necessarily just emotions. Love is action too. Um, and, and with making those mistakes, how do you know which mistakes to forgive or what will you settle for? So I think that's a journey that I'm still on now. Right. Right. Definitely. I agree with you on that. Um, 
And then um, I didn't know, like, did Michael ever go to jail for, like, what he did to you? Yes, he did. Um, he told the courts that he actually started molesting me at age two. Um, he was what? very, very fearful. Yeah, oh my he was. Gosh. Yeah, I don't remember that. That's why it's not in the right. book. I really That's tried right. to write the book truly from my perspective, not to tear anyone down, to truly just bring out what my healing was. Um, But yeah, he told the courts that he had started molesting me at age two and he was in prison for, I'm not sure exactly how long he was in prison for because eventually he got out. Um, But I didn't really keep in contact with him. Like after that whole situation happened and after... um, Anisia and stuff was born um we lost contact like I didn't hear from Michael until my older sister was grown so I mean my younger sister was grown so I don't know exactly how long he was in prison for any of that I do know he was in prison with my father right um, and your dad yeah. jacked him up I remember reading that yeah in the book. yeah so I don't outside of that I don't really know how long he was locked up for did he ever apologize to you? Yeah, he did. Um, at the time, I still hated him. Right. I forgive him now. Um, and uh, not to take away anything that he's, he did in my life. Uh, but I also know that he had trauma as a man. And not really sure what caused that for him. He also had his addiction and stuff like that. But Right. He did apologize when he was trying to connect with my little sister because my little sister was asking me questions about him before I was healed. And um, I told him that I would kill him if he hurt her. So, right. and that was like our last conversation. But in that time, I wasn't in a headspace to forgive him. Like I didn't care what he said or anything. Even when he passed away, I was still so angry. Um, and it wasn't up until within these last two years that I was able to forgive him to let go of that of, of my heart, you know, and it, it's not for me to judge whatever God decides. I'm a believer. So right, me too. it's not for me to know why I went through that. But I know none of my pain goes unjustified. And now I'm here to work differently to help other people through the pain that God allowed me to survive. So. Right. That's not for me to to judge him. I did, and it it hurt me way more. It caused more pain for me than it did help. Right. Yeah, because it's like you're holding on to that anger, and it's mm-hmm. almost like toxic to your body because you're so angry all the time. And I mean, of course, you had every right to like the stuff he put you through was just terrifying. Even with that, uh, the white boy that you know he let you know take advantage yeah. of you as well, like. To me, that just broke my heart because it's just like, dang, what what was going on in this man's mind for him to feel like, you know, this was okay. But like you said, he, you know, he had his problems. He also had his addictions and who knows what happened to him as a child. I think that the good part of healing for a lot of people is you may or may not know why a person did something to you, but sometimes... um just like kind of doing the research I've done in life with people who do kind of crazy stuff, it was done to them. Mm -hmm. So, and they, again, you know, never talked about it. And they're like, well, I'm a secret revenge on other people because of what I went through, you know, because they don't really have a safe place to talk about it. So, but I, I you know, give you your flowers for forgiving him. And 
you know, it took you a while, which is okay. You know what I'm saying? And being a believer, you know, God obviously wants us to forgive um, others as he forgave us. And he's not rushing it, you know? It's, yeah. It's like, it does take time to, you know, detoxify from all of that pain and all that trauma. Like, Yeah. And it's always, it's an everyday progress. You know, I have daughters and right. I'm very protective over them. So, um, right. The trauma is still there. And that's what I want people to understand about forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean that you forget and that you're relieving them of what they did to you. It's truly forgiveness for yourself to let that go for that person not to have such a hold on you. And until you truly understand that concept, you truly will not be able to forgive. You can say I'm over it, I'm done with it. But if you're still wanting that person hurt you have not forgiven them because it's not up you up to you to hurt them or to take vengeance or revenge or whatever it is because it's already done it's up to you to live your life in a most freest space that you can without them being a center of control from you so that's a big thing i wanted to get across in the book like the forgiveness was not for them it was really for me because how much I I held on to everything right and you know letting someone have that much power over you it's rough like it sucks because you're like every time you see that person or something triggers it it's just like it makes you so angry and then sometimes like if you have you're actually in front of that person some people feed off of and love that um when they make other people mad, they're like, oh, yeah, look at them. They're still mad, you know, and it's like, mm-hmm. you got to not give them that power because some people love that power, you know, which yes. us, but they definitely do. Um, So on, to, on chapter two, um, you know, you went through your journey with dating RTD and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I love, first of all, let me tell you, girl, I love these names. In this Thank you. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I really like how she changed this. <laughs> it definitely made the book. I was like, oh, uh-uh. But who's that? Okay, who did this? Like, it it, oh. it actually makes you want to read more about the person because you're like, wait, what? <laughs> so <laughs> I love the names. <laughs> definitely. Mm-hmm. So um, when you were um dating RTD and, um, you know, you had gotten pregnant and then you were being, you were at your auntie's house, being in that toxic environment, did you ever feel like, um, you had like a safe place to turn to, even if it was in your mind or something, did you ever feel like you had a safe place? Um, not at home. No. Um, there was a counselor in high school, Julie Sturgeon, um, when I went to George Washington and if she ever graces to read my book, I hope that she knows she's loved because I did put her in there. Um, right. She, she was my safe place like I told that woman literally everything and she did everything in her power but it was just you know society is so weird and so can manipulate kids to being liars oh, or my yeah, kids yeah. feels like they're liars you know to for things to be different so but um yeah she was my safe place um all through high school and um yeah that that woman is amazing so but outside of that it was really just my alternate reality and her yeah when did you um and I'm probably jumping all around but when did you first try like drugs when was the first time that happened uh when I was 14 when you were 14 okay Mm -hmm. 
Wow. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think pretty much everybody has tried something in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, it started with something super small. It was, I started with weed, which everybody smokes. I mean, it's <laughs> right. You know exactly. what I mean? But back then, it was a medicator for me. Um, yeah, I didn't advance to cocaine until I was 16, 17 years old. Um, so, but I still use weed as a place to escape, not as a social drug. Right, right. Yeah. So when you first, um, I'm like trying to figure which part happened first, but when you got pregnant first and you went to the, like the doctor, well, you didn't know you were pregnant. And then you went to the doctor with your auntie and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, How did it like make you feel when she was like, just trying to keep everything a secret. And she was like, I'm, you know, she didn't want no one to know anything. How did that just make you feel in general? not seen not Mm. heard not I didn't understand um when you're 12 years old finding out you're pregnant and you didn't even realize you were having sex that's right that is it still plays in my memory like a movie because when I raise my kids and I see other 12 year olds now to know that that was me like I was just lost. Like I didn't, my whole world changed that day. So I went for a sports physical to play sports for the upcoming year in high school. And my life changed over that summer. So um, the biggest thing is I I didn't felt seen. I felt like I had no control. Like the adults in my life had the control over, I had no voice in anything that was going on. Right. Cause that's when, um, uh, how do you say her name? Anicia. Yeah, Anicia. Right. So mm-hmm. she, you know, she got taken and and adopted, and then there was like no contact after that for a long time. It wasn't even spoke about. Wow. <laughs> Literally, how I wrote it in the book is I when I went into labor, I went to the hospital. I had her. I was there for those two days. Came home, and that was it. It was never brought up, never talked about. I don't know if family members know about it. It was like, it's something that happens every day. Like I just went in, got a tooth pulled or something, or had a tooth cleaned. Like that's how my new, it was done. And for you to be 12 years old going through that. And it's like, I know like, obviously like, you know, all my sisters got kids and it's like how they were mentally after having a baby and their hormones and postpartum, even my best friend, she had postpartum really bad. She, I mean, she kind of still dealing with it in um, my nieces too so it's like they like did they ever or your auntie did she ever like get you mental help around that age when that happened or she like you said it was just like oh whatever it's a doctor's point it was done I didn't have wow. I didn't see any therapist until I got emancipated um, I didn't have any legal counseling outside of Julie Sturgeon until I was emancipated so it was it was like that was what happened but that that was like you know people have babies every day is how it how it was reflected that is really that's just crazy you know i i'm like i like i said this book game it took me so many emotions like i was there holding your hand through this whole time like i couldn't do nothing you know like (laughs) 
yeah it, it was just very intense um and then you know when you got pregnant with rtd you were a couple of years older and you know your your auntie knew about that one as well and then again did you didn't have any mental help or anything after that nope um when I initially told him that I was pregnant, I found out it's not in the book, but I found out he was married and his wife was pregnant with twins. Oh, my Lord. And he already had two additional children. And it, I, I felt like he was my safe place mm-hmm. to find out that he wasn't, you know, and... um everything seems so routine every even the adults from the clinics to everything just seems so routine like it was just normal run-of-the-mill this is how life happens you know what I mean like I never had any other woman pull me to the side and ask me questions or say like do I need help pamphlets for resources my aunt Carrie like they would hand them to me she would take them out my hands that was it like it was just like I was the child you were the adult and I was supposed to listen and that was it yeah and that I could just see how that could be just so traumatizing because it's like not knowing any information it's just like it could have made you feel like oh this is just the norm then I could get Mm -hmm. pregnant and just be like all right I'm done and um go about my day yeah you know and that's just that's just really jacked up that you know you had to go through the by yourself and afterwards um I know, like, RTD, that, it just cracks me up. That his <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, you guys stopped talking after that, or did he still keep in contact with you for a while? No, we're actually friends till this day. Um, oh, okay, cool. Uh, during that time, he didn't even know I was 14 years old. I lied right, about I remember my age. Like, he was terrified. Like, I'm about to go to prison. Like, I don't right, know. Right, You know, like... Um, so it was hard on him too. And during that time, we didn't talk obviously after I had the abortion, but years later we came in contact with like Facebook, social media, and he apologized. Like he took complete ownership. He's a different man today. He's married. He's a very active father in his kid's life. And I have to take ownership and what my responsibility was in that too, because right. had he known I was 14, there's no way he would have been with me, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, we're actually still friends to this, to this day. And, um, you know, I notified everybody who I still talk to about the book. And he was just like, I'm just nervous about reading, you know, about myself through someone else's perspective. But yeah, there was no bad, hard feelings. You know, he was young, too. He was early 20s. Right. 20s. You know what to do. Yeah. Yep. So, um yep. Well, that's yeah. good like, that you guys still connected. And I'm proud of you for, like, taking accountability because some people are like, ugh, he should have known, you know? And it's like, yeah. I'm like, I'm 32, and I look younger than these high school girls. Okay? <laughs> yes, like, yes. I'm like... And I was just in a different <laughs> mentality. Like, I had to grow up faster than what I what most kids do. So I knew how to operate in that world. So, yeah. no, definitely take ownership on my part. Like, he had no idea about my age how I lived nothing right right yeah and like I said I I really um value like your accountability or you accepting accountability as well um so being emancipated I I really don't like know the process but like what's the process to even be emancipated 
So to be legally emancipated, you basically have to deem yourself to be an adult under the age of 18. So you have to have good grades. You have to be able to hold a steady job and at least pay about 30% of income. So your income that you intake needs to be able to provide for you, like if you were taking care of yourself, almost like a college student. Okay. So it's um, a six month of review of your school. Um, you have to have another adult who signs off on that. And for me, it was my cousin, Jessica and um, Julie Sturgeon. And um, the courts monitor, you meet monthly, you see where you're at, see are things doing. Um, there's housing programs for the youth or certain apartment complexes that allow you to move in. And then after you go through the six months of Oh, it could happen. There we go. Okay, I I got after you go through the six months. I'm yeah, so after you go through the six months, you basically go to the court and um, they petition to either have make you a ward of the state if you're not able to sufficiently provide for yourself, or you're able to be legally emancipated. Okay, cool. cool. Mm-hmm. A deep process. Wow. Yeah, it's um, pretty lengthy. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like it. So how come your aunt didn't like want to sign off? She was just like not having it. No, my aunt was getting money from me. She got survivor benefits for Social Security from my mom. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, she got food stamps. You know, she was, it was just a, another income stream for her. Right. Wow. So in front of the school and judges, like, I don't know why she's acting out and I don't know why she's doing this. And even when other kids brought certain things back up, my other um, cousins who lived in the house, they had lived there for years. So that's all they knew. My mom raised me. So I knew right. what she was doing wasn't right. Right. 12 years in walking in and having cabinets locked for food and stuff. I knew that was not normal. So. Right. Yeah. When um, I read that, I was like, yeah, what kind, it of, was... what kind of stuff is this? It almost made me feel like precious, like. Yeah, it's like what? Yeah, it was very just completely a new normal from what we had been living in. I mean, we had chaos when we were living in, but this right. was a whole new level of chaos, and it was money, it was income stream. Um, so you know, in front of courts, like I said, she would be like, I don't know why she's acting like this, and then. When she would get me back, it would be like, we were just about to get you X, Y, Z of what you wanted. And we were just about to do this for you, but you're acting out like just lies, you right. know, just until manipulate you. Yeah. So up until the point where I told everybody, like, I don't care how many times y'all take me back. I'm leaving. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Like it's a walk out this door. I'm That's not going back. So we can continue to play this game, but I'm not going back there. So (laughs) like, sorry for you. Yes. (laughs) I'm collecting my own check. (laughs) Did she um, ever like apologize to you after like all of the, you know, the stuff you you went through with her? No, we don't speak at all. Me and Tia do not talk at all. Oh, that sucks. That's unfortunate. Yeah. You know, but hey, sometimes people when you grow, you gotta let go. Yep, you definitely know? so. That is really it. So here, um, I want to talk about Eric. So you guys were together, and you were about seventeen at this time, right? Mm-hmm. And then, um, 
you know, you were hanging out with your cousin Tasha and you guys were out, you know, I was, I was talking about the comments, talking about dang he cute and all this other stuff. Like, <laughs> you, you did really, you captured, like I said, so many good things in this book. Um, you know, since you were like, you know, mentally more mature because of all of the things that you went through, you, did you ever think like it was wrong of you to date older men? No. Um, it's like the running joke of my friends. Any of my friends will tell you that I date senior citizens. It's so <laughs> weird. <laughs> but funny. I I think it just, it probably was both a, a condition of my environment of right. only knowing older men and then also not feeling like I was connected with the boys my age or men my age now, you know? Right. Um, so... Yeah, I, I think it was a combination of both because I had to live life so early. I didn't connect with people my age right. and people older than me have went through some of the similar things I went through because they were older, you know, so. And it was, like you said, more relatable and it's just like, oh, you're over there being childish and I'm literally have the mentality of a 50 year old right now. You know? Right, <laughs> right. I was paying my own bills. I was doing everything, right. you know, so. Yeah, like there, there was nothing that someone in high school could provide for me. So it was right. like I needed something more. Right. That makes perfect sense. So um when Eric found out about how old you were, because I believe that you put that in mm-hmm. there. Yeah. He'll like stay with you and he's just like, whatever. Yeah, because by the time he found out how old I was, I was 18. So I was, I was legal. Um, oh. And ironically enough, we only found out because he wanted to go to a club and I lost my fake ID. And I was like, uh, I can't get into that club. <laughs> so <Right>. um, <laughs> I don't think he ever would have opted to know my age had I, I don't know when he would have found out how old I was because how we operated, you know, so. Right. Um. Yeah, I don't okay. think it mattered to him because by the time I was already pregnant, it was like the damage was done. Right. And then like, you know, you got pregnant with Eric and then um, you found out you had cervical cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, how did, like, where was your mind? Like when you found both of, did you find both of those things out together? Yeah, I did. Oh mm-hmm. gosh, wow. So yeah. yeah. So how were you, what like, what mindset? It was. I honestly wasn't even worried about the cancer. I was more so worried about my oldest, uh, Kiami, because I was doing all types of stuff. I didn't have. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Due to technical difficulties, we're going to have to finish this episode on a later date.